um, and they're a gift regardless of their timing and their, uh, their circumstances of their arrival. Uh, no children are a mistake. Well, I, I sincerely believe that. No children are mistakes. Um, and uh, the truth is, uh, uh, they're a gift uh, when they're not just, just not, sometimes they're a gift that we don't expect, or we maybe they arrive in a package we don't expect. Maybe they're not a perfect little body. Maybe some things are wrong sometimes, but they're still a gift. Um, they're still a gift uh, when they have tantrums in shopping centers, are they? They're still a gift when they vomit in the middle of the night and you're trying to cope with that, you know, when they're not well. They're still a gift. And, and they're some of the harder times to remind ourselves as parents that children are a gift. And we just need to be thankful for the, through the good and the bad of circumstances uh, with them. Um, and like any, uh, like, unlike any other gift we receive, um, these gifts are more valuable than things. Uh, children are more valuable than gold. Um, and, it's, um, and the truth is they're reflective. They're a reflection, I should say, of, of parents, aren't they? They're a reflection of our, not just what we look like, but they're a reflection of our mannerisms, our personalities, our attitudes, and our character. And sometimes I wouldn't want to, don't want to admit that as a parent because I see some pretty bad character sometimes in my kids but over the years. But, you know, I have to own up to that sometimes. Uh, and so they're a, they're a wonderful gift. And so they're more valuable than things. But in saying that, um, we also need to value our children. Uh, children, uh, we need to care for them, look after them, give them guidance uh, throughout their day. Show them how to, to, you know, to steer them and guide them, particularly in the ways that God would want them to live their life. Uh, and not only so are they valuable, and not only do we need to value them, do you know as parents and as um, grandparents and as whoever, friends, we can, we also need to give them value. We can give kids value. Uh, YP is happening. Look at that. YP is happening. There's a couple there. Our young people's group. Thanks, Steve. So uh, Nick, who's gone into the green room, someone might have to grab him. There you go. Thank you. Uh, so uh, so we, need to we can value our children by giving them just, you know, time, giving them... Uh, uh, you know, just those moments of acknowledgement by giving them our accolades, encouragement, as well as sometimes the correction and discipline they need, but we give them value. And so I, I want to just encourage us this morning with our children um, to always consider that maybe some of your children have grown up and, and, uh, and now you've got grandchildren or you've got great-grandchildren. Well, we could still have a part to play in all their lives. And so this morning we come uh, to the decision, uh, to dedication and, you know, dedication is a decision of the heart. Um, it's not just a ceremony. It's just not a ritual, but it's a decision. And it's not uh, a decision um, that uh, it, it, of, of my part. It's, it's a decision on the part of the parents. The parents are the ones who dedicate this morning. I, I certainly don't. But the parents come and they dedicate their children unto God. And I think that's very special. And it's uh, something that comes from the heart. There's an illustration of that. Uh, there was a lady called Hannah who couldn't have children. And out of the pain of not able to have children, she prayed to God diligently and, uh, and said, God, if you give me a, a child, I'll dedicate that child to you. And so we see God answered her prayer, gave her a son. She named him Samuel, and he was dedicated to God, and he served God all the days of his life. What a life he lived, incredible life in, um, in, those, in the life of Israel. So... Today, as parents, we come to, to do the same. We say, God, 
Um, we, uh, we thank you for our children. Dedication is saying thank you. We, in a sense, give them back to you. Of course, we're the ones who are going to raise them, but we just want your help, God. We enlist, we want your wisdom and guidance in that. Um, dedication, I'm, I'm aware that sometimes we can be aware that what's the difference between baptism or christening, for instance. Um, dedication, we, we don't baptize uh, children, and for a simple reason, which is very logical and practical, is because children, baptism is for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's for people who can uh, have grown to an age that they understand the decision they're making to receive Jesus Christ into their lives and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, live, for, I'll live for Jesus Christ. A little infant cannot certainly make those decisions at a young age. And so we don't baptize infants or babies. Um, I suppose neither do we christen uh, because some, um, christening, because I've discovered that, you know, praying, dedicating someone this morning or praying for them, I suppose, is not making them a Christian. And christening can be a bit of that sometimes. And, and so it, it's a decision, once again, as I said, that they make in their time when they're old enough to make a decision for Christ. So uh, that's the reason. And we see, um, uh, so dedication, uh, we see clearly um, Jesus himself in a sense, was dedicated at a very young age uh, when Mary and Joseph brought him into the temple that first time. So uh, let me uh, step down, a level down here, and uh, just come down to here. And I, I want to just uh, now ask um, Ravan and Leanne uh, if they would bring their little carter uh, forward. That would be great. Along with, um, I think they had some uh, grandparents as well. Uh, they were going to come forward. And stand with me today. So this is little, uh, this is little Carter James. Um, he's got a great name, especially the second name. <laughs> Welcome everybody. Good to have you part of this. That's good. Yep. <laughs> great. So here he is. Oh, he's asleep. I'll come around this side. Um, you know, I was just considering, um, uh, Leanne and Pravan, that, you know, this little boy, I know that you're going to write your story. You, we, we, we have the journey of our lives. We write our story as adults. But he's going to be, uh, may he be a chapter, a beautiful chapter in your story of your lives. And uh, not only this one, you never know, hey, <laughs> in the future. Excuse my back, everybody. I'll just turn, I'll go this way. But um, I, was, uh, I was interested about Carter's name. And, you know, the word Carter in the original Hebrew, I know we have English translations, but the word Carter means he will rejoice. So uh, I, I was just, may he be a little fellow that uh, is exactly that, have joy and gladness in his life, all his life. And may he bring joy and gladness and happiness to many others as he grows up. And uh, I thought of a couple of verses um, for him. And the verses I was considering, it says... Um, in Psalm 35, verse 9, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, and it shall rejoice in his salvation. And uh, may that be his um, lot in life, that he would rejoice uh, at the, but that age of coming to understanding in, for God, for himself, and the Lord Jesus. And also, I love Proverbs 17, 22. 17, 22 a, a cheerful heart's like a good medicine. So, you know, I think we all understand stress and worry do not leave us very well, not just mentally, but physically. It can affect us. But may he never have that. May he have a joyful heart, a merry heart, and it'll be like uh, medicine or a strength to his life. 
And, you know, when we live a joyful life, that's exactly what we get. We get a much better life, don't we? So in saying all that, Pavan and Leanne, let me ask you a question today. Uh, I know the answer, and you know the answer already, but I think it's important that we ask it. Do you promise, um, with God's help, uh, to bring up Carter in the instruction of God's truth so that Carter would know a, joy of, a life of joy and blessing and in time come to an understanding and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for himself? Thank you. So we're going to pray for this little boy. I'm actually going to leave him in your arms because you guys are the ones dedicating. Is that okay? That probably makes it really easy. <laughs> no, that's right. But I, I, I just want to pray. And as a church, I want us to uh, believe together, okay? Because, you know, it takes more than just a, a parents to bring up a child. I really don't believe it's a community as well. And, and I know for many of us, uh, it, it, whether it's this church or another church or community of believers, our children grow up and you influence uh, so wonderfully other children, uh, whether it's through children's church or, uh, you know, uh, or through youth group. Or so it's very special. I, I think in the church need to realize that uh, we have a part to play uh, and pray for our children and stand with our children. You know, I want to encourage you, you know, when you see our kids running around the church, you know, um, don't just see them running around. Why don't you just acknowledge them? Sometimes kids just need to be acknowledged, hey, and cared for and loved. So we're going to pray together for this little boy now, and uh, especially you. How, how, how many months is he now, Leanne? He's six months. Six months. My daughter didn't have hair till two. How do you do that? <laughs> six haircuts. Wow. <laughs> you can sell that. <laughs> I'm just going to come around the back and we're going to pray and I'm going to put my hands on him as well. So let's pray together, church, hey. Thank you, Father. We, we thank you today uh, for this little boy. We thank you that is truly a gift, as the Bible says. He's a gift to this couple, I know, uh, how much they love and cherish him. Uh, but Lord, may your hand uh, be upon him all the days of his life. May you uh, guide and keep him, protect him. And that, Father, in, as he grows, uh, uh, that he would come to know himself uh, about you, Lord, and about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for him. We commit him and dedicate him to you. Just as Hannah cried out to you, God, and you answered her prayer, we thank you for this couple. You've answered their prayer with this little boy, and we commit him back to you in, in this way. Lord, I also pray for, for Pavan and Leanne, and I pray your blessing upon them as parents. And I thank you for them. I thank you for their, their love for you, and I just ask that you guide and lead and strengthen them as a couple, as they would uh, seek to guide and help their little boy and any future children, Lord, and that your hand and a blessing would be upon them, and we commit them to you. I thank you for their friends and um, the loved ones here that stand beside them. Uh, just give them wisdom and guidance as they seek to be a support to Bravan uh, and, and Leanne and also little Carter. Father, blessing upon them, we ask this way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you have a scripture as well? That's okay. Share this scripture. There we go. I can stand beside you. Is that okay? Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James 1, verse 17.
this little tiny baby sent from God above to fill up hearts with happiness and touch our lives with love. He must have known we'd give our all and always do our best and always be here to nurture, teach, guide, and protect your innocent soul no matter what. And to give our precious baby Carter James unconditional love and protection and always wish the best for you and be grateful and still blessed. We can't promise to be here for the rest of your life, but we can promise to love you for the rest of our lives. We love you lots, baby boy. Much love from Les Pops and Nani. Beautiful. Thank you. Yes. Very special. Thank you very much. Hey, we just had a, uh, a little bit of information in there and also a letter to him. He's old enough to read it. And we also like to give a Bible. You might have a Bible reading for him, but there you go. Hopefully. Hey, thank you, everybody. We appreciate your time. It's great. Oh, there's a picture? Yeah, get the pictures. Oh, me. Would you like me on this end? <laughs> Got to get the pics. So uh, we're going to come down into that time where we're actually going to have communion together and share together just for a moment. But uh, Scott's going to come and share around communion, but he's just going to, it'll be a bit longer. So I, I'm not actually going to preach a message. Scott's going to preach it and then we're going to share communion. Is that cool? Uh, so just so you know where we're going. So that'd be great. Thanks, Scott. Just to give him a hand as he comes. Come on. Morning, church. How cool the dedications. I love it. Okay, so this morning, uh, when I was asked to do a communion message, my first thought was, cool, an opportunity to share the good news. And I thought, what does that mean? What, what is the good news? And I thought, what is it about this good news that would motivate us this morning to eat a stale cracker and to sip on some not-so-tasty grape juice? Because the reality is, this good news is really what defines us as a Christian. Whenever I tell people that I'm a Christian, not at church, obviously, but outside, I usually get one of three responses. They usually assume, and rightly so, that I'm part of a church, um, that I'm a member of a church somewhere. But the thinking then is that that's all there is to being a Christian, that you attend a church service, that you're a member of a church somewhere. Or they ask this question, what can't you do? Or what are the things you can't do? Because in their mind, it's just about rules and laws, and there's just all these cool things, these fun things you can't do. Or they assume that I must be a good person, which is not true. <laughs> they must think I'm morally good, I'm righteous, I'm, I'm something, you know. I'm, I'm concerned with being kind and loving and compassionate and caring for the needy and doing these wonderful things. And while going to church, obviously, following God's laws, caring for the needy, these are all good things, biblical things, great things. It's not what makes you a Christian. It's not the good news. It's not the reason that Jesus, during the Last Supper, said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. It's not why we're here this morning joining in communion. There's a much deeper motivation. It is the good news. This morning we're going to look at three areas, three aspects, if you will, of the good news. The need, the work, and the result. And first, as we look at the need for the good news, it's really the bad news. I'm sorry, it's the bad news. The good news comes later. Because the, the bad news is about the, the horrifying truth of humanity the awful state of the human condition. 
Let me read from Psalm 51. It says these words in the first three verses. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Let me give you a bit of context to these verses. This comes from the heart of King David. He was, you know, he was the shepherd boy who God called to be king. He was the man that's been described after God's own heart. He's the one who slayed the giant Goliath and freed the Israelite people from the Philistines. He was the second king in Israel. He's the one who said these words, I desire to do your will, O God, your law is written within my heart. And he did all sorts of wonderful things in his, in his reign. He wrote heaps of psalms and songs and praised God and led God's people until his lustful eyes caught, the, caught sight of another man's wife, Bathsheba. And then a downward spiral of sin occurred. He committed adultery and he cheated and he lied and he stole. And in the end, he tried to cover it all up and killed Bathsheba's husband. He broke five of the Ten Commandments in one sort of act of rebellion. Until the prophet at that time, the prophet Nathan, he confronts David to try and bring him back to repentance. And Psalm 51 is essentially this outpouring of his heart in shameful confession. It's not very popular these days to talk about sin, to talk about evil and these things. But this is precisely what David is doing. He is a man after God's own heart, coming to God in recognition of his own unworthiness. And this psalm bears the mark of true confession, of deep guilt, of deep shame, of, of heartfelt. He expresses it in every way. He says, my sin, my iniquities, my transgressions, what is evil in your sight? And as if sin had made him dirty and he wanted to be clean, as if it had made him sick on the inside and he wanted to be healed. It had separated him from God and he wanted to be brought back. He knew sin required a judgment and he was looking for deliverance. And like David, we are all sinners in need of this radical redemption. But you may hear the context of, this verse and, of these verses and think, well, that's not me. Murder, adultery, you know, that's a sinner. That's not me. Maybe... You know, I don't sin. Maybe I'll make mistakes. Maybe I'll make some bad choices in life. But surely not a sinner. I'm really a good person, deep down, maybe very deep down. But I'm surely a good person, not a sinner. The Apostle Paul expands on these words in Ephesians 2. It'll come up on the screen, hopefully. He says this, As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. You can't read these words and think we're just good people who make mistakes and make a bad choice. The Bible says we're children of wrath, that we are dead in our transgressions and sins, that we are marked by gratifying the cravings of our flesh following its desires, following, following its thoughts. That sin is so deeply ingrained inside us, in our person, that it causes like a spiritual death. And like David, we all have that same need, the need for the good news, that we are sinners in need of redemption. David recognises his sin. He's actually a smart man. What does he do? 
He confesses them to God. He seeks deliverance. He says these words. He says, have mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me. Later in verse 7, he says, cleanse me with the hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. He goes even a little bit deeper with these words. I'll read verse 9 to 10. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's, he's pleading with God in these words. And there's almost a sense of fear behind them. But it's really he's seeking God in expectation. He's appealing to God's unfailing love. He understands the promise of God in spite of his sin. He recognizes that he cannot save himself. So he appeals to the one thing he can, the one thing left, the character of God. To his mercy, to his unfailing love. You know, he's devastated because of his sin and his shame. And you can hear it in the Psalms. But he also recognizes the promise of God. In verse 1, he clearly knows that God will act again for his blessing. He trusts God for his salvation. And we're the same. When we recognize our sin, when we recognize our shame and we confess it before God, we come in repentance. We have that same hopeful expectation of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Let me read it from Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Paul in verse 4 appeals to that same character of God that David did, his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, in living that perfect life, in living that sinless life that we couldn't, in dying the death that we deserve because of our sin, we have an assured hope of salvation. As David does in the Psalms, Paul makes clear that there's nothing we can add to God's redeeming work. The next words kind of jump out in that, in that passage in Ephesians. But God. God made us alive, even when we were dead. I was just talking the other weekend about my nana. My nana before she passed away. Um, before she died, she used to make the best cupcakes. And every Christmas, every time that side of the family would gather together, she would make these cupcakes and everyone would just devour them. The, the kids, the adults, everyone would just demolish these things because they were delicious. And after she passed away, um, different family members have you know, got the recipe, got the ingredients and tried to remake these cupcakes, but they're never the same. You know, they're, they're Nana's cupcakes. There was no substitute. Same ingredients, same recipe, not the same treat. But as I, I thought about that and I had these verses in my head, I had a really weird thought. It's a bit of a crazy thought, but, but bear with me. I imagined buying all these ingredients, getting the recipe, getting the family together and going to my Nana's grave and saying, we're here. It's time to make your cupcakes, Nana. We're ready to eat. We want to enjoy them again. It's a stupid thought, I know. But it's madness, right, isn't it? You know, my Nana is gone. She cannot do anything anymore, let alone make cupcakes. But that's the picture here. The spiritually dead, dead in transgressions and sins, can do nothing. The dead cannot save themselves. They cannot change their predicament. Jonathan Edwards says it like this, and I really like this quote. He says, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. The need. 
but God. They're probably the greatest words, in my mind at least, in the Bible. The greatest words of hope that we could want to hear. You know, death robs us of all hope. Like I said, when someone dies, hope of them returning to life is gone. And to be spiritually dead is to be without hope. Unless you bring God into the equation. But God's love is unfailing. He is rich in mercy. He richly lavished on us with his grace through Jesus' death on the cross. This is the work of the good news. Let me read from John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the good news. I might just ask the ushers to come and start distributing the emblems if they could. You know, Jesus, during the Last Supper, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it up and shared it amongst his disciples. He said, this is my body. And then the cup, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. The work of the good news is this, that Jesus died on the cross in our place. He took the punishment for our sins. His body was broken, represented by the, the breaking of the bread. His blood was poured out, represented by the cup. So this morning we have the cracker and the juice. The sin is the need for the good news. Jesus' death is the work of the good news. So what's the result? What does that mean? The result is this, if you haven't picked up already. Salvation from sin. You know, David realized that God could cleanse him and he would be clean. He could wash him and he would be whiter than snow. But not simply cleanse him on the outside, but actually transform him from the inside out. He says these verses, and, and we'll go back to Psalm 51, verse 10. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then in verse 12 he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Finally, in verse 14, he says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God, uh, are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You know, David understands his sin, but equally he understands his God, the God who wants restoration, who wants reconciliation. And this is what God brings, it's what God desires. God is a forgiver by nature. David wanted a clean heart, a willing spirit, uh, and wanted to be devoted to God, to those things that please him. I'll go back to Ephesians 2, in verse 8 and 9. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what does it mean to say I'm a Christian? Like I said in the opening um, parts. It means I have agreed with God concerning my sinful state. I've renounced all confidence in my own goodness, my own merit. And that I've placed all hope for salvation in the personal work of Jesus. So what's the message here? The need for the good news is sin. The work of the good news is Jesus' death on the cross. And the result of the good news is Jesus is salvation from sin, being made alive, being raised up with Christ, experiencing the riches of God's grace, His unfailing love, His kindness, His mercy. And nobody is too far. Nobody's too far gone. This hope is for everyone. 
You know, David broke five of the Ten Commandments and he experienced God's life-restoring, hope-filled, joy-filled deliverance. Paul also, the writer of Ephesians, he experienced his life-transforming redemption. And I personally, with my testimony, like we're saying, the testimony, I know this hope-fulfilling promise of assured salvation. You know, communion is a time of sorrow and of joy. It's, it's a somber moment, a sorrowful moment where we reflect on our sin, the sin that put Jesus on the cross. But it's a time of joy and excitement and dancing and praising because we know that Jesus paid that ultimate price for us. It's remembering what Christ has done, his death on the cross, his body broken, his blood poured out. It is why he says those words, do this in remembrance of me. This morning we need the good news. Our sin is always before us. We have sinned against God, we're deserving of judgment, and we're spiritually dead. But God, He has made a way. He has made us alive when we were dead. He's lavished on us His grace and the riches of His mercy. He's poured out His unfailing love. He's washed away our sin. He's blotted out our transgressions. He's delivered us from guilt and from shame. He's raised us up with Christ, expressed His kindness to us in Christ. He's seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. He's given us joy. He's given us gladness. He's given us the hope of salvation. It's probably the most important thing you could ever want to hear, the good news of the gospel. In a moment, we're going to eat and drink together. And I would ask those who are believers in Christ to join with me as we partake. To, to join with me in reflecting on our own sin, confessing it before God, but doing it while trusting in the work of the cross, you know, represented by the, the juice and the cracker this morning, but trusting that God has made you whiter than snow by washing away your sin, that he's transformed you from the inside out by giving you his spirit, and that by his grace, you have been saved. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I just thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that as we come before you, as we confess our sin, as we confess who we are in our unworthiness, as we, come, as we come broken with a contrite heart, you are there with open arms, that you are here to save the sinners, to save us from our sin. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross that you gave your body broken, your blood poured out, that we may have life and life abundant, that we may know eternal life, and that we may be saved from our sin. Amen. Let's eat and drink. Just take that moment, let's just be thankful.
as um, Scott shared, you know, the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We wouldn't uh, truly uh, know uh, if it wasn't for Jesus. We wouldn't know really know what God's about. Jesus came. He gave us his death, his full life, so that we could have a, a life of uh, forgiveness and mercy on our lives. And we're thankful of that today. You know, I'm just aware today that maybe uh, we're here and, you know, you maybe um, have some thoughts about God or some kind of belief about God. But it's very clear that um, the truth is we need to kind of make a choice sometimes where we stand. Do we stand believing in God, believing what Jesus Christ has done? Or do we stand, uh, um, uh, you know, apart from that, saying, no, really, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, I kind of believe in that way. But today, maybe, um, you know, there's been a bit of a challenge and there's been this thought of where do I stand? And and God may be just speaking to your heart and you just feel that quickness and that, oh, you know, what's happening here? And, you know, God is just longing for you because He loves you. He already ha- always has. It's an incredible purpose for your lives. Because it's just not a matter of just living for however many years, 79 average years of males in, the, in, the, in Australia and then dying and that's it. No, there's a wonderful purpose for us here on this earth and then there's a purpose for us even afterwards when he promises us a eternal life a heaven and today um, it's very simple it just talks about how we can actually just um, make a confession as simple as that may be maybe a confession today of well god i really don't understand you but i just would ask that you'd just uh, help me to start to understand about you and all that you've done through your son jesus and it becomes also not just a confession, but a belief. And, and God, it may be a simple prayer of God, just help me to understand how to believe and, and to know what you're about and to, to start to believe in you. But I'd like to just um, pray for you today. I just make a simple prayer. My prayer isn't more powerful than anybody else's, but I would just love just the opportunity to pray for you today. Maybe we could just close our eyes just for a moment and I could ask you if you would like me to just to pray simple prayer that would say God just help me to come to know you and to receive you into my life help me to to get a a kind of handle on this stuff reveal yourself to me God Um, I think God's speaking to hearts today and if you would like me to pray uh, please just raise your hand I'll see that hand you can put it down thank you thank you thank you thank you anybody else today thank you just the first step for some of us for some of us a step again and that's good because God God longs for you he's got so much purpose so much so let me pray Father I thank you today I thank you for each hand that raised some of those hands are just responding to you afresh today again because they know of you but they need you they, they don't want to live in their sin and their past. They want to live forgiven and, and know your mercy and grace. And so I pray you will grant that. Father, I know that as they come to you, you promised you would grant that. You cleanse us from all un- from all sin. Pra- Father, I pray for those who have raised their hand maybe for the very first time today. That as they, uh, Lord, are obviously seeking, they're looking, they're wondering, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them more and more. And then make their peace with you, God, and receive your Lord Jesus into their lives. I thank you that you're present and that you love us today. 
I thank you for every person today. And I ask that you continue to draw all of us to yourself and to your wonderful plan and purpose. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How about we today just sing one more song together as we close the service. I'd love you to stand with me as the team come and uh, sing that great song. Some may see an ocean, but he's made a highway through. Some may see a mountain, but we've seen a mountain move. Some may see a graveyard, but we've seen his empty tomb. Some may see.
uh, folks, have a great week this week. I pray that you would be ever so aware of God's incredible um, hand upon your life and He wanting to just, sometimes He doesn't charge into our lights, but He waits and knocks at the door of our hearts. So why don't we let Him in? Have a great week. Encourage someone today. Please stay for morning tea if you can. Have a hot drink, something to nibble on. That'd be great.